Hello, and welcome to the Uncover Up with your hosts Lee Coon Lee and Nathan Radke. Welcome to the Uncover Up. I'm one of your co-hosts, Nathan Radke, and joining me today is Dr. Lee Kunla. Hi, Nathan. And this is a pretty exciting thing. It is. We are 100 episodes old. This is our centennial episode. This is it. Yeah. That is so much. That's so <laughs> much time. It, and we were talking off air how much more there is still to say about this topic. Yeah, we have not scratched the surface. Like, we still have so much to do, and we're going to discuss some of that later in this episode, where yeah. we're going to head and some of the topics that we still have to cover. What we want to do for this episode, a bunch of things. This is sort of special. We've accomplished a thing. Yeah, we're going to talk about ourselves. We're going to talk about ourselves. <laughs> We've earned it. Yeah, 100 episodes it. in, we have earned a little talking about ourselves. One of the things that we always do when we're talking about a conspiracy is we provide some historical context. Mm. So what we're going to do today is we're going to provide some historical context for us. It's the origin story of Lee and Nathan's discovery of conspiracies. That's right. Like I, if, if you were a superhero yeah. and I was a supervillain, yeah. part of our stories would be that, that sort of origin myth. That's exactly right. Because that origin sort of says something about who they are and what kind of villain or hero they turn yeah. into. yeah. And, and just like superhero and superhero villains, that's usually not something that happens in the first publication of the first comic. It's something, it's sort of uh, looking back a couple of uh, comics in, right, where you then find out why is this one so evil and why, how did this uh, superhero turn out to be so good? Exactly. The other thing that we're going to do is because we're not just going to completely sit around talking about ourselves. By talking about ourselves, we're also going to shed some light into the nature of conspiracy theory. Because okay. we, can't, we can't not do that. No. I mean, I actually can't do it. Like, I literally can't do it anymore. This has seeped so deeply into my life that somehow conspiracies always come up. It's like past the butter. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know... I'm it's like, well, you know why margarine is this color? Well, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> I mean, we could sit around and talk about... Like, we have interesting things in our past. We've both owned ridiculous cars. Yes, we have. I had a Ford Probe. I had a 1984 Fiero. A Pontiac Fiero, which we could have an entire episode on because they used to burst into flames. Uh, there was, in fact, a warning in my car by the gear shift that said exactly that, that in an accident, this car could burst into flames because it was made out of plastic. Yeah. And, and the engine was in the back. So that meant that my legs were all the way in the hood, like all the way down by the lights. You're, you were the crumple zone. Yeah. Yeah, and not only that, but to fit that engine in that mid-mounted position, they had to like shrink the oil pan, so there wasn't enough. Anyway, we'll get we'll come back to the Pontiac right, right, Fiero right, okay. when we do that episode on the on the dangers of cars. So why don't we start with you? I was going to start with you, but instead we're starting with oh, you. This is the problem with letting you take the lead on because the I spoke episode. first. Yeah, okay. Here's what we're going to get from you. What I want from you specifically is. There is something that I've learned about, well, so many things that I've learned about you in the 99 episodes, <laughs> but I'm always shocked. You I'm, are. I'm it's always weird surprised how surprised you are. When I find a story from your past in which you describe how much of a seeker you were. Yeah, I was. 
So why, this is such an important idea for conspiracy theory. Mm. Why don't we start off by talking about the idea of what is a seeker? Okay. And I'll do it, I guess, in the context of me. Is that, is exactly. that what we say? Okay. So it's a bit embarrassing to talk about myself like this, but um, when I was a teenager, I think even maybe slightly before, uh, I got really interested in spirituality. And maybe that was because my parents uh, were yuppies and were interested in things like making money and going to parties and fast cars, stuff was, like it that. It was a world of material possessions yeah. and, and hollowness. Yeah, which I kind of reacted against because I did see this world of religion and spirituality around me. And I was wondering, well, there's, there's, there's this whole dimension of experience that I'm not experiencing because I've got these materialistic parents. So I got really interested in that world of spirituality. And I think that was the start. And I'm going to interrupt already. Yeah. Because already you have provided some really keen insight into a, like a really important aspect of conspiratorial thought. It's this sort of driving force, this idea that there must be more than I'm seeing. Yeah. This can't be all there is. No, This can't exactly. be the truth. There yeah. has to be something underneath this. or something. Yeah. Ha there has to be something else. Yeah. So I went looking. I went looking for exactly that. And I come, uh, I'm, a, I'm an immigrant from Europe, from Germany, and the religious traditions that at least were part of my family's background, if not exactly part of my uh, nuclear family, would have been Christianity. And I, I kind of rejected that as too... Uh, mainstream or, or, or maybe not mystical enough. So I went into, um, specifically, I found a yoga outfit, but this is not the yoga based on physical stretching only. This is a, we, there was a guru, there was an ashram that is a kind of um, a center for spiritual learning. The guru was from India. His name was Yogi Krishan which was his spiritual name, and he came from a lineage of gurus, and, you know, we would, I, I would go uh, with others and sit at his feet and, 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 and learn lessons and, and about spirituality and about the soul, about reincarnation, practice transcendental meditation. So this isn't simply an exercise routine. This no. is like a metaphysical system yeah. ultimately that, yeah. that's making claims about the nature of absolute reality yeah and then the hot yoga or the hatha yoga that we know today it was considered to be a small element to get your body ready for the spiritual journey so you were to get yourself physically fit so you could sit for hours on end meditating or praying or, or whatever the thing was so i got really into them uh, because and, you were finding something in this not just in the exercises which i'm sure probably felt pretty good yep but something in the spirituality of it, something yeah. in the metaphysics of it, yep. that was giving you something that was lacking from this German Protestant sort of mainstream exactly. materialist view that you had been raised in. Exactly. One of the things it gave me, which has come up so often in our episodes, was community. Uh, there were a community of other seekers that I was with, felt validated in what I was doing. I got answers, too. Uh, that was really nice. You know, it, it, the, what happened after death wasn't a mystery. I, I knew because I, I had this teacher who had some kind of access to divine knowledge. That, though, opened the door to other areas. And I know you were shocked yesterday when we were talking about things that I then did as a result of being part of this group, like... Oh, buckle up, everybody. Past life regression. I was put into a kind of uh, hypnotic trance kind of state and asked to regress my mind back through my life through my memories but then then even further back 
And I uh, started remembering, so I thought at the time, experiences from a life that happened before the one I'm living now. And again, that was proof that I was on the right track and I was gaining knowledge that other people didn't have. And I was understanding the world more deeply than my parents and maybe even their parents. Yeah, not only were you gaining knowledge, you were gaining like kind of a hidden, secret, yeah. occult knowledge. Yeah, exactly. I went to... That's, a, that's, a, that's quite the tempting thing. Oh, it certainly is, especially for a teenager, yeah. you know, who is already trying to struggle with the complexities of reality. And, you know, you're growing up and you're trying to figure things out. Trying to separate your identity from your parents. Exactly. All that stuff. And I was doing a good job of that. My parents were quite worried about what I was nice. getting myself into. that's good into. teenage work then. Yeah. <laughs> well, they had grown up with the specter of these kind of religious sects from, uh, and these are their terms, from the Moonies to the Hare Krishnas to, or Krishna consciousness to other groups that would sort of prey on young vulnerable minds and ensnare them in these religious organizations from which they would never escape again. I'm sure your parents at some point discussed whether you were getting involved with some kind of future Jonestown. Exactly. I remember I went, and this was a bit later in my life, but I remember I went to a meditation retreat, one where you would stay for over a week and uh, you would meditate. And, you know, it, was, it had a kind of a bunker look to it. These were all uh, kind of cheap housing that all looked the same. And, and um, you, would, you just had a cot, basically, that you slept in. My mom drove me up there, and she cried when she left. I, I mean, I was not far away from her, and it's not like we hadn't been separated before. She was crying because she was pretty sure that that was the last time she was going to see her son like her son, and that he was going to turn into, yeah, like you maybe. were going to be singing at the airport, exactly. banging the tambourine. Exactly, and... exactly. I went to psychics. You know, I got readings about the future. I was big into astrology. I tried to learn astrology myself. I had both Western astrologers and Indian astrologers who used different astrological systems. I paid good money to have charts made for me, individual charts that detailed things that would happen in my life. I tried to hold on to them too as a type of verification because a lot of the predictions were things that when I was a teenager were going to happen in 10, 15, 20 years. Sadly, I've lost track of them. And so I haven't been able to verify what did or did not come true. But you do remember some of them. I do because they didn't come true. I uh. was one of the uh, psychic I went to said that I would badly bang my head in a swimming pool. Uh, at that point, I wasn't really into swimming. I, I did get into swimming while I lived in Taipei. It's a very hot place and the best kind of exercise to do in the morning is to jump to an outdoor pool. Never did hit my head. Always was waiting for it, even long after I had dismissed all these ideas as bunk. I was waiting for this to happen and I don't know why I was surprised that it never did. I also was very deeply into alternative medicine from acupuncture to naturopathy and homeopathy and things like that. This was actually an influence from my uncle who was um, a medical doctor very much on the forefront of mixing traditional Western medicine or allopathic medicine with these either older forms of medicine or non-mainstream forms of medicine. 
And, and of course, there is something to some of these kinds of medicine. Like sure. They are effective. We were discussing acupuncture yesterday. Acupuncture does seem to have a beneficial effect in some cases for some people. Yeah, if uh, especially... And not just one that's like placebo effect, but no. like an actual effect. So my understanding, I, I you know, I, I, again, I'm not a medical doctor, but I did a little reading on it, just a little. And there seemed to be some effect for muscle injuries. So like kind of stuff like tennis elbow and that by inserting the needles around that area, you would um, cause a micro trauma, which would basically alert your body to, hey, there's something up here. Your body sends, I don't know what, blood, oxygen, you know, whatever things, healing stuff. Again, not a medical doctor. Right. You could tell. Uh, but there was some truth to it, I guess, mm -hmm. except that the claims that I was looking for. So I'm a migraine sufferer. Luckily, less so as I grow older, but it was kind of bad in my late teens. And uh, I remember, and this I guess is already, or it was my early 20s, it was already starting with the break, is that I went to my acupuncturist, who I was apprenticing with. So he was from China. He was an acupuncturist who had studied there. He, you know, he wasn't even what's known as TCM, traditional Chinese medicine, which is a kind of codified scene of uh, acupuncture in the West. He was just an acupuncturist who had learned from his acupuncturist, uh, just like my guru who had learned from his guru and all the way back. I went while I was having a migraine and it didn't help. Mm. But the thing is I had some pills at home that did help. Ah. And I was, I was kind of angry, you know, because it, migraines hurt and they make you feel awful. And I'm lying there undergoing what's, what in retrospect seemed like a very unnecessary amount of suffering when I could have just taken some pills at home. So here we have the story of young Lee, yep. who is looking for meaning. Yep. He's, yep. he's looking for substance in the world. Yep. He's trying to separate himself from what's come before. Yep. Because what's come before isn't necessarily ideal or satisfying. Right. You encounter these ideas, they're fascinating, they're interesting, they seem to, to like involve this sort of ancient wisdom. Yep, exactly. And all of this stuff is super tempting. Yeah. And it seems to have gotten you into, I mean, you spent a lot of money on astrology. Yeah, <laughs> I spent a lot of money on a lot of stuff. What, uh, what else? Oh, man. I So there are a version of prayer beads in the this yoga scene that I was part of. You, you'll have seen them about. They they look. Now, I should have looked this up. I can't remember. They're the seed of a certain tree. There are other versions of these kind of genetic anomalies, I guess. The normal seed has four, si five sides, sorry. Mm -hmm. There's some you can get that have two sides or three sides. These are very coveted and they cost a lot of money. How much money are we talking uh, about here? Hundreds of oh. dollars. Hundreds of dollars, which for a teenager is a, you know, like my yearly disposable income. You could have put that money towards a car that wouldn't have caught on fire. Yes, I could have invested in Bitcoin. Well, yeah, that's right. You could have gotten Ethereum if it had been much lighter. Right. Uh, and it, it, anyway, it would have ended me in the same spot as I had. Slightly worse. <laughs> yeah. But, so I did spend some money. I, I didn't go nuts. I didn't spend all my money. I remember though once my parents were making their will. And I was like, well, why don't you just sign it all over to me? And my mom said, because you'll be liable just to give it all to that ashram of yours. Oh, man. And there's some truth to that. You know, because when you're in it, you want to fully commit. I mean, it only works if you fully commit. 
At least that's the idea. But the fact that your parents were against this was not a glitch in your system. It was a feature of your system. Yeah. In the same way that in conspiracy thought, the fact that it isn't mainstream makes it better to the people who believe it somehow. Yeah. It, it puts them in a more sort of select group. I of was people who smarter. Have, you were smarter. You were I in a select group of, of wise people. And all my, my friends, they were going to raves. And wasting their time doing E and hooking up with girls and stuff like that. Whereas I was on the path to enlightenment, suckers. Right. Ha, you showed them. <laughs> yeah. But, now I've got two questions. One, I mean, this is all kind of adorable. Was there any sort of dangerous aspect? Could this have gone badly for you? Aside from the money that you maybe spent that you could have spent on other things, is it possible that the path that you were going down could have led you to some maybe more sinister things. I'm sure it could have. I got lucky because the ashram I was associated with was not particularly radical. There are more radical outfits. I could have gotten in, uh, associated with them. There was one group where I heard later that there was a bunch of sexual assaults that were uh. happening. And again, that's, that is a, I don't know how common of a feature it is, but it is a thing that happens in some of these communities because you have leaders that are essentially, an, an, um, you can't uh, contest their authority. And so uh, they get away with stuff. Right. And any situation you have that, that's not specific to the kind of worldview that you were engaged in. That's like right. Any kind of worldview that has that sort of unimpeachable leader. No. It's going to be a system in which that kind of abuse and that kind of corruption becomes more yeah. likely. I think also in the healthcare dimension, I was particularly lucky that I, while migraines suck, and I, I am not by any means somebody who suffers migraines as badly as many people do. So migraines mm -hmm. can really be a debilitating illness. But I was lucky that I didn't have anything particularly serious. And so I didn't avoid mainstream treatments which i may very well have done you know if i had gotten i don't know um cancer cancer or hiv aids or something at that time i might have assumed that i knew better and would have avoided mainstream treatments mm -hmm. uh, i had a lot of evidence to suggest that i was on the right track by going fully alternative on the other hand... I mean, uh, just to interrupt again, yeah. as, we, as we were talking about before we started recording, I've been in a conversation with one of my QAnon contacts yeah, yeah. over the last few days. And this stuff is getting scary. Yeah, and he's drinking bleach, and yeah. he's trying to convince me to drink bleach. Right. And um, I am trying to maybe suggest to... that he should not drink bleach. Right. And we've talked about this in terms of the dangers of revealed knowledge. And scam artists. And scam artists that there is... A lot of these claims are within the community essentially unfalsifiable and uh, because all of this stuff that could falsify it has been rejected already out of hand as being nonsense knowledge you can you can find yourself in dangerous situations yeah. i got lucky and didn't find myself there and if anything for a while it might have kept me safer than some of my friends because yeah. you know because it's not they, like mainstream materialism in the West is necessarily all that safe. Right. Well, and particularly when my friends took E and went to raves, they'd often then drive home. Right. And uh, there were some harrowing uh, encounters on the highway when the cars almost, you know, tipped over. And you're, you're, w at that, you're way better off meditating. Right. Like, there's no comparison between those two things. Driving on E and quietly meditating somewhere, like go quietly meditate clearly. So... 
But I can see that I, it was really a question of luck. It was a question of which group I, I didn't know anything from anything when I started. You know what else it was a question of? Mm -hmm. What year did this happen? Uh, so I got... Ar around what year? Uh, it's dating me. I got interested in all this stuff around 89, 90. Mm -hmm. And I was into it until about 96. There was elements that, that stayed with me until almost 99. But so it was around between half and a full decade. Because I would argue the path to kind of like sinister conspiracy beliefs mm. is a lot easier to go down now than it was at that time. That's true. For reasons that we'll talk about in future episodes. Yeah. I mean, and the obvious ones being that there wasn't, the internet was not what it is today. Yeah. Uh, I was part of the emergence of the popular internet where it was essentially chat rooms and a couple of websites that, I don't know, played music or something. Yeah. There were no algorithms that would direct you to more and more extreme content. Oh, there was no YouTube. Yeah. There was no TikTok. Yeah. There was no uh, Facebook, Facebook or Instagram or any of this kind of social networking stuff. There was yeah. email. Yeah, it was like the electronic equivalent of just scrolling on bathroom walls. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So that is... So that's my first question. Oh, gosh, there's my, more. My second question is, you didn't stay that kind of seeker. No. And so you've already explained that one thing that happened was you found that it wasn't working for your migraine headaches. Yeah. What are some other things that, that moved you away from this belief system? Yeah, well, there was a couple, I think, a couple of things that happened to me by and by that eventually led me to see the world differently. I'm going to be a little, I don't know if it's glib, but part of it was a process of growing up. I mean, part of it is that by the time you're 22, you don't believe the things you did when you were 12. Mm -hmm. And so I think this is true for most people is that you just, there's a lot of changes that happen when you're a teenager. Now, looking back now, I'll point to a couple of things in a second, but I think that was a big part of it was just my friends changed, my interests changed, um, my circumstances changed, and I changed as a result. But specifically, with respect to, we started with this ashram, this religious group that I was part of this um yoga slash Hindu spiritual movement, I started having some doubts myself about, you know, do I really have a soul? Do I really believe in reincarnation? Do I really believe that I am praying to a god when I pray to Shiva? Things like that, which were emphasized. And there was, interestingly for me, a bridge into a kind of a radical materialism. And that was... Orthodox Buddhism, or uh, what's known as Theravada Buddhism, and also Zen Buddhism has some aspects of this, which there are Buddhisms and Buddhisms, and like any religious tradition, it's very diverse and complex and, and, and culturally informed. Tibetan Buddhism is different from Pure Land Japanese Buddhism, blah, blah, blah. But there are versions of Buddhism that are essentially atheistic no soul, no God, no afterlife. And I got really attracted to that stuff. Man, Young Lee is taking some big swings. Yeah. <laughs> like, Young Lee does not do things, like, by halves. No. Young Lee is like, I'm all the way over there, and now yes. I'm all the way over here. Uh, that is a, that is an aspect of my character. It's true. It's one that stayed with me. I am 
an extremist in, in most things that I do. Also now with conspiracies. It's what we do for fun. Nathan and I were at a bookstore yesterday uh, to get some UFO stuff. We went on summer holiday to an Air Force base. It's all I teach. It's all I read about. I have a podcast. You know, like it's, I do things like that. It's true. So that was the, the bridge, though, that brought me kind of into a real questioning phase in my life where I wasn't exactly questioning it from a sort of uh, materialist, nihilistic position, but I was questioning it from a very skeptical other religious tradition. I was like, well, why this Hinduism as opposed to that Buddhism? Right. You know? Now, I remember talking to my teacher about it, and he didn't have good answers. <laughs> That's a tricky question to have an answer to. <laughs> I was like, so, you know, I think this non that soul stuff is really interesting. He's like, no, you have a soul. I was like, well, how do you know? How do I know? So there was that kind of questioning that started my move out of there. There was some personal stuff that was going on as well. I was in a long-term relationship with a woman, in part because this is what I thought it meant to live a good life. You know, because again, I'm growing uh, in my teenage years, I'm growing up in this religious organization loosely. I mean, I didn't live there or anything, but I really took on these values. And as a, okay, this is a bit tawdry and personal, but the idea is if you're not going to become a full ascetic and, and leave, you're, a, you're known as a householder. And householders, you can have a sexual partner but just one, like you marry and that's that. And, and, and then you make babies and that, you know, whatever. So that was sort of how I was imagining things and things in my relationship weren't going well. And, uh, I was, well, how do I put this without going like, you know, half hour into some tawdry personal stuff? Basically she was still part of this um, my teacher got in the middle of it. So he, you were in a relationship with somebody from this community. I brought her into the community. Oh boy. She, she accepted it. Mm -hmm. My teacher then tried to intervene on my behalf. He was like, listen, I don't think this relationship is really working out. I then had a crisis of faith because I was as committed to her as I was to this, this group that combined with my flirtation with Buddhist slash atheistic ideas essentially brought me right to the, the breaking point with that group. I broke up with my partner at that time and then met a girl who was an atheist, full on. And I'm sorry to say that was the final straw uh, for me. And I, I, ditched, I ditched the whole thing. And I'm like, nope, now I'm an atheist. You know, <laughs> and I haven't looked back since. You know, what's extraordinary, <laughs> although you're not with... That is not your current wife, this this person. It is my current wife. It is your current it wife. It is my current that's wife. That's amazing. Yeah, well, except she's not actually my wife. Oh, that's, um, well, because you're atheist, so you don't believe in anything. Exactly. Right. That's that's incredible. <laughs> I didn't know that part of the story. That's some good pod. And again, I got surprised at the end of it. <laughs> that's wild. And so that's where you are now. Now, that's, okay, yeah. more, more questions. All right. Have you achieved your final form? Or is there going to be more Lees? I hope so. I mean, one of the things that I think, and I'm, I, I, I haven't asked you a set of questions yet, but one of the things that happened to me at some point, I think, in this process is that I became almost addicted to the experience of discovering that I am wrong and that there is more out there. 
And that process keeps going and it keeps changing me. And there are always these new iterations. But I don't think the swings are as big as they were when I was younger because in a lot of ways there are things that are set. And I don't know, as you get older, maybe I don't take the risks as much or maybe things You've that I... You've got more invested in things. You've and, got... And, You've gotten comfortable. I've gotten, there's part of that, but I wonder also, it's just the period in your life, like if I were to make a decision now, a big radical decision now, it still wouldn't be as impactful as if I'd made it at 20. Mm -hmm. You know, at 20, you still have so much more ahead of you. And so it's going to, it's going to affect so much more, whereas now it's not going to affect as much. Right. I now don't you're, know if in your mid forties, you're just kind of like, you're just playing out the string. Kind of. Yeah. yeah. So I think there are more versions of me. I hope so, because this is this process of growth that I, I find really exciting and worth living for. But I also think that more and more I am, I am me. <laughs> I don't know. Dude. <laughs> Dude, indeed. <laughs> all right, all right, enough about me. Crying out loud. What about you? Because your origin story, weirdly, has to do with toast. Yes, and chaos. Toast and chaos. All right, so let me tell you a story that I think goes some way of explaining me. All right, so I was not as much of a seeker as you. Like, okay. I, I appreciated a lot of the stuff you were saying and, and some of those motivations and some of those drives and, like, wanting to learn. As we've talked about before, I had all the Time Life books on, like, the Loch Ness Monster yeah, yeah, yeah. and Ghosts. And I was I was hoping to find something there, but I, I never really went that far with it. Uh, I did uh, martial arts and things like that. And, again, I looked on it as more of, like, exercise. Okay. I, I, I was never able to grasp that kind of greater spiritual truth that you were able to find Although ultimately then reject. Right. So what did I have? What did yeah. I have? What was my relationship with this place? Yeah. It was a nihilistic one. Did it? What, what, it didn't start that way, surely. No. I mean, eight-year-old Nathan isn't a nihilist, is he? Eight-year-old Nathan is a bit of a nihilist. Wow. Yeah. I started early and I started often. Why? I mean, that almost requires an origin. Because, you know, kids are hopeful beings. They look at the world in... I think on the whole more magical way, there's wonder, there's all the experiences that are, are new and fresh. Right. Maybe I should describe <laughs> the neighborhood I grew up in. Yeah, okay. The neighborhood I grew up in was not filled with wonder and magic. Uh, it was filled with like violence and decay. Hmm. I mean, the brothel that we lived beside burned down one night. Okay. I mean, that story in itself, I think, sets up some degree right. of what this neighborhood was like. <laughs> What, where were and, you? And it didn't seem like it was a safe enough place for magic and wonder. Where were you? Uh, it was just in a small little town in um, Ontario. Yeah. Like, there, was, for, there for, was some child murders. There was, like, it was... For non-Ontarians, mm -hmm. uh, I think our image of small-town Ontario is quite bucolic. It's, like, rolling farm fields and stuff. But a lot of small-town Ontario is actually not like that. It's, it's quite rough. It's... These are, like... Uh, industrial towns in decay, a lot of poverty, and it sounds like you were in one of these places, yeah. as opposed to the rolling hills and fields. Yeah. I mean, my parents really valued education and knowledge, uh, so my house was filled with books. Okay. And so I could stay at home, and I was a scrawny, I wasn't a six-foot tall guy that I am now, I was a scrawny little tiny thing, 
And so it was a lot safer to sit with my saltines and my books. Okay. And the books that I was drawn towards were books that sort of played with this idea of absurdity mm. and, and chaos. Mm. And it was eventually going to be chaos and absurdity that ultimately turned me into what I am. Because one of the main things about what I am now is I've never been able to figure out what it was I was supposed to do here. Okay. I think this is a very common thing for a lot of people. Somebody would ask you when you're 15, hey, what do you want to be when you grow yeah. up? And you're like, I don't know, not a factory worker. Like, right. <laughs> there's nothing wrong with working in a factory, but I just, I couldn't, I couldn't handle that idea. Yeah. Like, I couldn't look forward and just, like, I remember once my mother saying something about, oh, you could be like an HR manager at like some Toyota plant or something. Right. And I was like, or, <laughs> or I could not exist at all, I guess. Yeah. And again, nothing wrong with HR, but it just, it, it didn't suit it didn't suit me. Yeah. Nothing suited me. I did not feel like anything made any sense here. And I didn't feel like I made sense here. Okay. I had friends. I had a community. I had all these other things. But I, I always had this sort of weird, ironic detachment from all things, which I think I still maintain to this day. Yep. Which is why when I find something horrifying, I'll often say it's interesting. Right. There's a thing that is happening, says Nathan. Yes. The robot. <laughs> exactly. Then I went off to university, and university, I was like, oh, I came across logic. Okay. Now, I had struggled with math to the point where, in high school, where I got a 51 because I promised I would never take math again. And I was like, <laughs> right, this is just a thing I can't do. This is beyond yeah. me. This is past me. Yeah. But when I took my first logic class at university, I had a fantastic prof, a guy called Professor Tyndall. He's still around. And it was... It was just so clarifying to me. Okay. I'm like, oh, I can take this chaotic world and maybe make it make some kind of sense through reasoning, through argumentation. Right. And it was it was fantastic. I was like, perhaps this is a world I can understand. Oh, that's interesting. Because the thing about me, and I think this is probably a pretty common thing for a lot of us, is that I couldn't understand anything. Right. Everything was so baffling to me. I couldn't understand. I, I remember one story. I'm driving in a car. I see a turtle on the other side of the road, so I'm like, oh, I should move that turtle. So I pull over. I'm getting out of the car. Meanwhile, someone else pulls up beside the turtle, and I think, oh, they're going to move it. Instead, they backed over it. No. Deliberately. Oh, my goodness. Now, you've never seen me angry, because it happens like once every decade or yeah. so. But I was furious. I was like, I was seeing red. I got in back in the car. I started chasing them in an Oldsmobile Cutlass Cruiser wagon. Okay. So, well, not so much of a chase. Won. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> no, they eventually drove to a police station, and I was like, I should probably just go. But uh, that, that haunted me. I was like, I don't understand that. I don't, yeah. why would you have done that? Right. Why that cruelty? Why that yeah. pointlessness? Yeah. I, and I couldn't understand basically anything else either. But logic seemed like a way of cutting through nonsense and, and clarifying things. So I thought, ah, maybe logic will get me out of the chaos. Mm. Instead, chaos brought me closer to the logic. Oh, interesting. And this is where the toast comes in. This is where the toast comes in. Okay. Because I'm overtly referring to chaos theory here. Yeah. The idea that tiny little insignificant choices yeah. end up having this massive impact. Okay. So like what happened? Like a butterfly's wings right. cause a storm, which sounds ridiculous, but is actually mathematically correct. Right. So I'm in Peterborough, Ontario, where I had gone to university. I had finished my undergrad I was now in my postgrad, and I was writing a paper on Las Vegas, so I had to find like a home base to live in that was cheap, so I could spend a bunch of time in Las Vegas getting chased by casino security guards for my, <laughs> for my thesis. And so I thought, well, 
I'm in Peterborough anyway. I'm going to go visit that logic prof that I had. Okay. So I thought, well, I'm going to have breakfast first. Should I have one piece of toast or two pieces? The sort of decision that you make all the time, it's literally the least important thing I could have been doing. Right. Deciding how many pieces of toast to make. Right, right, right. One or two. And to spoil the suspense, I chose two pieces of toast. Okay. I had an extra piece of toast that morning. Okay. And so, oh, so this is not even usual. You would have normally had one piece of toast. Well, sometimes you have one, sometimes you have oh, two. Okay, okay. I mean, it all depends. Because you think, well, at the very least, I know this decision I'm making about toast is not going to affect the rest of my life and the lives of everybody I've ever right. encountered. <laughs> it's very low stakes. Rest assured. But that's not how chaos works. Okay. So what happened was... I had the extra piece of toast, and then I was going to go visit Professor Tyndall, and I was like, do I go before lunch or after lunch? Mm. If I had had one piece of toast, I might have been hungry earlier. Mm. I would have said, I'm going to have lunch first, yep. and then go to the university. Yep. That extra piece of toast. Okay. I wasn't that hungry yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to go before lunch. All right. So I wandered out to the university, doop de doo I got to his office. Uh, I opened the door and said, Hello. Just as he was on the phone with the dean of the university saying, I can't find anyone to teach this logic class. Hmm. And just as he said that, the door opens and I walk in and he says, oh, no, I found somebody. And he hangs up the phone. He says, hey, could you teach a logic class? And I said, yes. And so then I started teaching that logic class. And again, finally, for I think the first time in my life, because I'd had all sorts of jobs. I'd been a construction worker and a gas station attendant. I'd worked retail and like just all the usual jobs. Yeah. I stood in the classroom, basically the same age as the, as the students back then. Right. And I was like, oh, wait, here I am. Yeah. This is the thing. This is the thing I wanted to do. And so then from there, I taught at University for a while, taught logic, then moved on to some other colleges, uh, started teaching some other things. And then I was in the position where I was going to get tenure at a school that we've never, we've never mentioned in 99 episodes. We've wow. never mentioned where we teach. Okay. So I was going to get tenure at that unnamed school. <laughs> and so the interview was going pretty well. I was talking about like viral information, all the stuff that yeah. I usually talk about. And they asked me, okay, so is there a course that you could imagine designing and why? Okay. And I was like, huh. And I remember I had talked with a friend of mine, a guy called Professor Baird, who was on that hiring committee. And him and I had talked for years about hey, you notice how the students are really into conspiracy theory and we don't know anything about it? Yeah. We should have a course on that. That's how it happened. Eh? And so I said, uh, conspiracy theory? And they're like, you, sir, are hired. Wow. And then, obviously, the rest happened. You and I got put on a team together. Yep. Actually, I've never told you this story. Okay. The first time I met you, uh-huh. uh, it was at a conference. You were doing a talk on East Germany. Yeah. And I was watching. I was like, this guy seems like he knows what he's talking about. But I'm a suspicious Aloysius. <laughs> so I texted our senior Vortex correspondent, Dr. Matt Barra. Oh. Who, of course, is an expert in Germany. Yes. I was like, have you ever heard of a Dr. Lee Kunla? And this is while your presentation's going on. And he texted back and said, oh, yeah, good guy. I was like, okay. Oh. All right, then. Got to buy him a box of chocolates. And then uh, we were putting a team together, and then yeah. we taught together, and then you started teaching the conspiracy course I designed, and then all of the rest of this happened. Wow. I mean, in, in, listening, to your, Chaos. in listening to your account, though, it does sound like there was this secret element to you, because unlo unlike me, maybe I was like, 
I see. I kept thinking I had the answer, and you uh, kept knowing that you didn't. So I think there was a certain degree of honesty that you were bringing to the to the search. But just how much logic impacted you in clarifying the mess? Yeah, but what's weird is that the logic was there to try to help me with the chaos, but ultimately course, it was the, the chaos, chaos yes. that allowed me to become because. You, you might say, oh, that second piece of toast was meant to be. That's what you would have said as a young person. And it person. was what I said as a young you person. You would have said as a young person that second piece of toast was meant to be. The way I saw it as a, an old confused person was, man, there's just a bunch of random nonsense that happens, and sometimes it works in your favor and sometimes it doesn't. And just like your story about looking for meaning tells us something about the motivation of people who adopt conspiratorial beliefs, my story tells us something about the limits of conspiracy theorizing. Because conspiracy theories, particularly those about powerful groups like the Illuminati or the Freemasons or the Reptilians, they're all about a small group of beings having control over everything that happens. But we have to always remember that the world is incredibly complex and chaotic. And it's impossible for anyone to be in total control of every piece of toast, every butterfly flapping its wing. And I wonder sometimes if conspiracy theories can be a way of helping us to deal with that chaotic world. In some ways, it's more reassuring to think that bad things happen because evil people are in control of things than consider the possibility that no one can be in complete control of things. So what has been... what? We have both changed a lot, I think, in the course of just doing the podcast. I mean, we really got into this as a subject that we have both discovered is so fruitful to study and so interesting and just keeps giving back. You had designed the first iteration of the course, then you and I did another course together. What has been that journey into conspiracies? What what has it done for you? I don't know if this is just my perspective or some kind of weird coincidence, but I feel like as you and I have gotten further and further in conspiracies, conspiracy has grown and grown in importance in our society. Yeah. To the point now where it was, when I first designed the course, I had to really push hard to get the college to accept it. Right. Whereas now, like you can't turn on mainstream news without somebody referencing conspiracy theory. Yeah. yeah I mean, yeah. since we've done the podcast, we've done literally hundreds of radio interviews. We've done TV interviews. Yeah. Uh, I've done a TV show. Nathan is now on a published TV show. Secret Societies, colon, in the shadows. Okay. And where would um, listeners of the Uncover Up find Nathan's television show? Well, Nathan didn't produce it. He no, is a talking head I'm just, head I'm just on a talking it. head. But you're the talking head. I'm one of the talking heads. Okay. Where do we yeah. find the show? I think Discovery Plus. Discovery Plus. Yeah. Okay. I, I don't know. I haven't actually watched it yet. I can't bring myself to do it. Uh, Sean Foreman has uh, made a bunch of YouTube videos for us. So you're also a YouTuber. Oh, that's true. And that actually brings up another thing that I wanted to talk about. There's a bunch of things that I'm really happy about as we hit this 100th episode. One is I just have such tremendous appreciation for you. And I'm pointing at the microphone. I'm not pointing at Lee anymore. And I'm, you, the listener, the person who's listening to this right now, unless this is Lee listening to it, like, we really, really appreciate that you guys have spent so much time with us. Like, hundreds of thousands of hours... Lee, you and I have wasted of people's lives. And yeah. I just I just really appreciate it. And, and we get to hear from them. And everybody that I've heard from has just been 
like amazing and interesting. Like I, we just have the best listeners yeah. and I really enjoy interacting with them. Yeah. I mean, uh, here I'm stealing actually a, a, an idea from Nathan, but huh, we for do, the first time. Uh, we do have limited amount of time on this earth and it is a real honor that people are spending some of that with us yeah. listening to the kind of work that we do. Yeah. Thanks everybody. Yeah. Because it isn't part in, in large part because of the listeners that we keep bothering. Yeah. I think if we had started this and we hadn't gotten past 50 listeners, I don't think we would have gotten to a hundredth episode, despite the fact that you and I are both very committed to the subject and really interested in it. Mm -hmm. There is this relationship to our listeners that uh, is not one way. Yeah. It's not us just talking to you guys. It's the fact that you talk back, yep. you're there, podcast at theuncoverup.com. Yeah, you can get in touch with mostly Nathan. Or Instagram, yeah, at also, the uncoverup. Also Nathan. Yeah, you're not, uh, you're not a real social media guy. I'm in the background. So that's one thing I've been really thankful for. And also, some of those listeners have turned into friends. Yeah, and contributors. Yeah. Like like Shelly Lesher. Dr. Shelly Lesher, yep. Um, who has, I mean, we have plugged her podcast before, but it is our 100th episode, and I feel we should plug it again. You know what? Let's do something better than plug. Let's, All right. Right now, let's get in a car, let's drive to an undisclosed location outside of a military base and talk to Shelly for a couple minutes. Okay. So at this point in our retrospective celebration 100th episode, we are happy to be joined by none other than the host of My Nuclear Life, friend of the show, all-round good egg, Dr. Shelley Lesher. Hello, and 100 episodes. 100 episodes. 100 episodes. It's our centennial. Congratulations. Thank, Thank you. Thank you, Shelley. And it wouldn't be 100 episodes without the four or five by this point that you have helped contribute to. Yeah, it's it's been a lot of fun. It has been a lot of fun. I mean, in large part because we got to meet people like you yes, along the way you. on this journey. And I got to discover your podcast, My Nuclear Life, which I know we plugged before, but cannot Plug be plugged again. enough. Thank you. you. Know, <laughs> if you like this ep if you like this show, you will like My Nuclear Life as well. Especially the episodes that you appear on. Well, yeah. thank you. That's thank right. you. I'm, 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 I'm all flattered and flushed here. Well, isn't this a mutual admiration association? Oh, I love fest. Yes. <laughs> so my question is this. In the episodes that you've done with us... What are some of the ideas or the concepts or the, the things you've learned that really jump out as being shocking, alarming, disturbing, or strange? Hmm. That I should not ever be shocked or alarmed or feel that something is too strange. Oh, that's a good one. Uh, yeah, I mean, we did the Seesaw episode together. Oh my gosh, yes. And that was, I mean, oh my goodness, was that... Uh, uh, I, I don't have words for it. I, I think I still talk about that with people. So do I. And, and, and people cannot... So this is the the project in which very, very smart people thought it was possible to drain the Great Lakes, to power a turbine, to then shoot a laser into the atmosphere to create kind of this shield against nuclear weapons. Right. And, 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 and people thought this was a good idea. Yeah. I still can't get past the image of just all of the Great Lakes draining like a giant toilet. Like in a couple <laughs> minutes, just a massive flushing noise and just all the Great Lakes just sort of swirling down. And we were just talking about it over dinner yesterday. And we're like, well, wait a minute, where does that water go? 
And you start to think about really how absurd this idea was because you then, I remember, you actually had to create the space of the Great Lakes under the Great Lakes. To hold the Great Lakes. To, to hold, hold the Great, Great Lakes, Lakes, which you were going to then drain. And it's like, well, where the Great Lakes go? Well, they're still there. Those are but... going to be some really confused smallmouth bass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the, the Cold War stuff has been really... But but you're right. Remarkable. Like, the Cold War, you cannot be shocked by anything that takes place in the Cold War because that internal logic just allowed such extreme ideas. Yes. And I had to stop thinking about the money. Right. <laughs> because when you start thinking about how much money there was, you just start thinking about all the stuff we could have now. Uh, it goes beyond comprehension. It's a tragic opportunity cost. Yes. Yeah, because you look around and there are places of extreme poverty and there are definite needs in our society. And you think, well, there just isn't enough money to cover all of uh, what we need. Well, that's what we're told. There's not enough money. Exactly. And then you see the waste that has gone in the past with these these boondoggle uh, projects that had very little chance of success, were extremely dangerous, were very silly, and cost so much money. Yes. And I mean, the three of us a while back toured just hangar after hangar after hangar of examples of that when we were down at uh, the Wright-Patterson, Wright-Patterson Air, Force. Air Force Base, where you just see like these massive planes that you can't even imagine could fly. And when you think about how many of them were built and like the resources that it took to create them, and the entire purpose was to create a force that was powerful enough to basically end the world. Yes. And yet, let me just interject that I have never seen Nathan happier than wandering uh, airplane hangar after airplane hangar full of vintage, antique, uh, Cold War airplanes. My internal life is very complicated (laughs) and my emotions are very nuanced. It was quite something. With Shelley, we also did the Havana Syndrome episode yep. too, right? Yeah, so psychogenic we, disorder. We went right into, exactly, like this psychological dimension. Yeah, that was interesting. Another episode was the Hafnium 178 isomer hand grenade. There you go. Nice. Do you still remember the difference between what an atom is and what an isotope is? Okay, so uh, an isotope... Hope? Mm-hmm. Isn't that charged? No, that's an ion. That's an ion. It, it has ion. the it has... same amount. So it's the one with more, more or less protons, neutrons, but different amount of neutrons. More, Correct. More or less ah. neutrons than the proton. After all this time, I still remember. That's oh, great. well done. Well done. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> and we're back. It was good to hear from her. There's someone else that's really important to this podcast who uh, some of the listeners are like, hey, what happened to this person? Yeah, she was not abducted. No. So Elena was one of the three of us while we were still three. Mm-hmm. And uh, well, she... we were still huddled around one microphone. That's right. Uh, it wasn't even a microphone at no. the beginning. Uh, sorry for the early sound quality stuff. She was a valued contributor. She participated in the um, radio programs we went on to. Uh, she was part of the Uncover Up well into COVID. So I think it was the first two years, mostly 2017 to 2019. I think the first three episodes, it was just Nathan and I, Elena joined us and we had a great time. Mm -hmm. And so people were like, well, what happened? There must've been some kind of terrible falling out. There was no terrible falling out. There was no falling out at all. 
We're still friends. Uh, Nathan, you were just at her birthday yeah. party. I still drink in her backyard. Yeah. And uh, I was also invited, but wasn't able to go. So uh, sure. Yeah, no, it's true. I wasn't in town, I think. Oh, that's Oh, you're going to make me look bad. Please edit this out. And we've had other uh, guest stars like uh, Dr. Mandy Wintink. Yep. Now, I wasn't on that episode. So it's not technically my 100th episode. Do we get to do like at 106 or whatever? We'll do like Lee's 100th episode. Yeah, but it won't be this (laughs) self-indulgent. Oh, you never know if it's my episode. It'll it'll be more (laughs) self-indulgent. And so a couple more things that we need to address. One is as a thank you to the listeners... Mm. To show you, the listener, what you guys mean to me, I am going to now permanently alter my body. Yep. Because now, now Nathan has been threatening to do this for a while. And here it goes. It's gonna. It's about to happen. Okay. So I am now about to get a tattoo of a flying saucer, mm-hmm. a design uh, by a friend of ours, the great artist Angel Ajula. Mm-hmm. Now this was up on Instagram for a while, and and listeners got to vote on which one, and so. They've picked which one I'm getting. Are you getting 50s or 60s flying saucer? 60s flying saucer. Wow, nice. So Good that'll choice, be, everyone. That'll be my second tattoo. The first tattoo I got during a lecture. Okay. My favorite book is War with the Newts by Carl Chopik. Yeah. I was doing a lecture on that book. I had somebody tattoo a newt on my arm during the lecture. It looks like a prison tattoo. It, it was made like a prison <laughs> tattoo. Was it like with a big pen? Yes. Oh, man. Yeah, hardcore. <laughs> And I did it because I had realized it's like that book means a lot to me. Uh, lecturing means a lot to me. Philosophy means a lot to me. It, it's about time I represented that on my body. Okay. And this podcast means a lot to me. The listeners mean a lot to me. Uh, like researching conspiracy theory means a lot to me. And I feel like UFOs are sort of like the... Well, they're our logo, man. Yeah. Like they're right there. In that's how you find us. There's so much about the nature of conspiracy that we find interesting that's encapsulated in the figure of the UFO. Yeah. yeah. And so that's what's going on my arm right now. So here we are in Matchbox Tattoo with my tattoo artist Blake, putting the UFO on my arm, and I just learned that she has a petrifying fear of aliens, which is a nice touch. All right, so there's only one last thing to do in this episode. Yeah. Where do we go from here? What's, what's, what's on the radar? Where are we going? Definitely more conspiracies. We certainly haven't run out of them. No. Uh, Nathan was talking about UFOs, and uh, Shelly did mention when she first started listening, she's like, what's up with all the UFOs, guys? But we're going to do some more of that because yeah. there is an evolution in the story of UFOs that we want to track, and it gets dark. And yeah. we want to... Because that's we know that that's what the listeners like. Go sinister. That's, that's what you turn. That's what you're tuning in for. The '90s UFO conspiracy milieu gets dark. Cattle mutilations and right-wing militia groups. Alien-human um, hybrids. It 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 gets merged into something new, and we want to follow that trajectory. But you know, uh, one of the things that people worry about, friends of ours, is that we're one day not going to have anything to say. And there, what we struggle with is actually which of the conspiracies are we going to talk about? I'm currently looking at uh, maybe one of the first American conspiracies, which is the attempted assassination of George Washington. We might look at Hulk Hogan, Gawker, and the founder of PayPal. Yep. Uh, 
There is... I've got a listener request, the death of a general at Area 51. Yep, in that the 1980s. is a doozy. Yep, I'm going to get into that one. And that's just some of the stuff we've got planned. Yeah, we've got alien abductions. We've got... Presidential assassinations, attempted and otherwise. Uh, maybe the Abe Lincoln one, you know. Yeah. Uh, we've got more political conspiracies. We've got conspiratorial movements. And one day we might actually have to go back and look at some of the stuff we've talked about already because it continues to develop sure. like QAnon. Yeah. Um, and also we could do like somebody just tried to take over Germany. Oh, goodness. Yeah. That just and, happened. And in Brazil. Yeah. So, yeah, there's no shortage of stuff and we will get to it. In well, the meantime, again, thanks everybody for listening. Thanks for listening. And if I could offer one piece of advice to everyone. Oh. Don't drink bleach. <laughs>